kicking it with Kendrick. Mm. We love that acting. You're kicking it with Kendrick, but not that Kendrick. Nah, nah. You're kicking it with Kendrick. Yeah, Twilight gets it. Woo. You're kicking it with Kendrick. Pitch perfect singing. Oh, yeah, she's on the go. How many actors got that glow? Singing and acting, I don't know. Not even Leo's got that flow. Musicals and movies more. All the talents out the door. We're seeing what she's got in store. Yeah, and it's time to stop the show. Welcome to another, 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 another episode of Kicking It With Kendrick. I am your host, or one of your hosts, Pierre Frigon. I'm joined by Jeff Ballmer, as always. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Pierre. How's it going? Oh, I'm great. I, I just finished watching a TV show recently. I'm assuming that TV show is related to this uh, episode, because this is the first and, I believe, only TV show we're going to talk about on this show, but a TV show nonetheless, which is maybe a little weird. Yeah, yeah, no, that 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 is the TV show <laughs> I was talking about. I think. Wait, I've I finished a couple other shows this week, but yeah, that that is the most recent one. But yeah, and uh, anyways, we are host. Uh, we are joined by another lovely guest today. We have Mark Morgan joining us. Hello, Mark. Hello, nice to be here. Thank you very much. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Are you thank ready you. to be subjugated to our Anna Kendrick interrogation? Absolutely, hit me with it. Oh, uh, sorry, I don't have any of the questions. <laughs> I hope that didn't seem like I was the one that was speaking. I mean, it sounds like you're more ready to be hit with our interrogation than we are. Yeah. We're playing, like, good cop, uh, not aware of what the questions are cop. There you go. That sounds good. I have to, I'm generally not aware of a bunch of... I was looking through Anna Kendrick projects, and a lot of the more popular ones I have a bit of a blind spot on. Mm. I've oh. not seen Up in the Air. I've not seen End of the Watch. I've not seen the first Twilight film. Huh. So I've got a couple of blind spots when it comes to Anna Kendrick. Well, personally, those are all ones that I would recommend, but that's going to lead me to my second question. So let me ask my first question first. General thoughts. What do you think of Anna Kendrick as a performer? I've always found her to be pretty great, to be honest. She's got a a specific niche when it comes to her kind of character, Mm -hmm. but she pulls it off pretty well. Uh, That kind of scrappy... I have her autobiography called Scrappy Little Nobody. Uh, and I've yet to read it, but that sounds like a pretty perfect encapsulation of her. It's a pretty great book. It's I personally look to it as my Bible for this show. I've read it <laughs> at least in parts, probably twice. Excellent. I said that was going to lead me to my second question, but I have multiple questions that I'm mostly coming up with on the fly here. Uh, I wanted to know, so when did you become aware basically of Anna Kendrick as a performer like there's lots of performers that you you'll see them in a show and you know you'll see them eight or nine times before you start recognizing the name and going to a movie being like I know this person's in that movie if there was a moment like that with Anna Kendrick for you what movie was that so for me Scott Pilgrim blew me away when I was just at a perfect age to watch it so it'll be absolutely that'll be when I first saw her and that was a DVD that I wore out over and over again at home. But I guess the only star project I'll have really seen her in at the start of her career would be like Pitch Perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's probably when I would have recognized her as a particular performer. All right. That makes sense. Kind of two big, uh, two mm. big projects she was in. I think that's like, I don't, I don't know exactly how many different ways we've asked that question, but that seems like a very popular response to versions of that question we've asked in the past. 
big fan of Scott Pilgrim, yeah. noticed her in Pitch Perfect. Well, Scott Pilgrim's a weird one because she it's such a small role that she has in Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. And yet she's like, I believe at the time she was dating Edgar Wright and uh, he just found the perfect role for her in that movie, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I could understand why that, uh, how she would have got that role. And that kind of unlocks a lot of that film for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm going to assume that those movies may end up being a factor here, but if you had to pick your top three Anna Kendrick movies and your top three performances, and you do because you're a guest on this show, which would you <laughs> Well, if uh, my feet have been held to the fire and I have to, let's say oh, Scott Pilgrim is probably going to be the top one, mm-hmm. but that's not a film that I've revisited for a very long time. And I have a tiny fear that if I was to rewatch it, I wouldn't enjoy it as much as I did when I was, uh, when I was 20. But it's definitely one that I need to rewatch at some point. The Voices is also going to be a really big one. I love The Voices. And again, it's not a massive role that she has in it, but she's pretty great in The Voices. And you couldn't really do a top three without doing Pitch Perfect, Mm -hmm. just because it's her star-making vehicle, and it so perfectly fits her abilities as a singer and a performer. Definitely not the same as I go for performance, though. Mm -hmm. You can't really put Scott Pilgrim in there just because it's such a small small part in that film. I wouldn't feel like putting that in there. Mm -hmm. And I've got to put 50-50 in one of those two lists. So yeah, I'd say that her performance in 50-50 would knock out um, knock out Scott Pilgrim from the top three list. That's sort of what I had intended to touch on when you said that you were still missing up in the air and end of watch, because that's mm. very much, uh, those two, I would say are like both really good, but up in the air, she's got a very big role. Like she was nominated for an Oscar for that one, but end of watch, she's in it for like, She's barely more than a cameo in that movie. So like there's definitely more so than a lot of other actors. I find there is definitely a big difference between, you know, which movies she's been in that are quote unquote the best ones. And then ones where that are like her good performances. They're not always the same. Right. Yeah. And there's definitely an honorable mention going in for a simple favor because that film's just so weird and goes through so many different tones. Mm-hmm. And she's the linchpin of that. So She's a part of that for me as well. Pierre, are you are you satisfied with the interrogation results? <laughs> I believe so. Oh, <laughs> he knows enough to talk about dummy. <laughs> Do any of us know enough to talk about <laughs> yeah, dummy? Maybe maybe you're right. I don't know. I actually don't know. The more I like read about dummy, the more I'm the more I like second guess my own thoughts about it. It's it's gonna be a weird one. Mm. But um what I guess is interesting about Dummy is, as we mentioned, this is one of, I think, only two TV shows Anna Kendrick has been in. And, like, even then, I would say technically, because this is, this has sort of a weird history. It was originally developed as a TV show, then they turned it into a movie, and then it got picked up as a Quibi TV show, which means that all the episodes had to be 10 minutes or less. So it was cut down, but then filmed as a TV show with episodes 10 minutes or less, which is really confusing. But there's a really interesting word in that whole history, and that is Quibi. And Pierre, what do you know about Quibi? Do you ever have Quibi? No, I I mean, like, even if I did, I probably would have only been able to have it for like a month, right? Like, I don't know how long it was actually out for. I think it technically survived the better part of a year four months four months yeah okay 
Oh, no, wait. No, you're right. Eight months. Sorry. Never mind. Something like that. Anyways. Yeah, no, I, I never owned it. There was a lot of stuff happening around that time. And I, I never really found... Uh, I never watch movies on my phone. Unless I'm like... Maybe if like I'm in bed and I'm like really, really bored and I don't want to get up, I might watch like something on my phone. But yeah, I didn't really have much interest in it. Especially with... I, I was on... I'm on Reddit a lot. And Reddit was like very toxic towards this this specific company before it came out so yeah the more i look into it the more i think there may actually be ideas with potential there but in general it just seemed like such a weird and bad idea but i am interested because our guest today uh mark you're from the uk which i don't think quibi ever got to i think they missed the uk market because they weren't around long enough I think that was buried in their roadmap at some point. After two years of success, they were going to come to England and then they never made it. That's ambitious of them. But uh, Yeah, it's kind of a shame because I would have been interested to see some of the projects that they had on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like they did. They had some real talent that was brought into it. They weren't working with people like, for example, the, the team for Dummy that was so unproven. But they were throwing money at Spielberg, Del Toro, I would be interested to see what some of those guys were capable of doing with the format. Mm -hmm. Were you following this at all as it was going on? Like, what were your general thoughts on Quibi as it was coming out, if you remember? That is now a little ways ago, but still. I remember thinking that it was a bizarre concept to base a streaming platform entirely around your phone (laughs) and to have none of it linked into TV or smart TV use at all. Because, as Pierre says, you just don't really watch films on your phone. Mm Mm-hmm. That's, that's not a way that people consume that content. And people fill that time when they have five minutes and nothing to do with it. They don't fill that time with an episode of a TV show or part of a TV show. They don't fill it with social media, mobile gaming, that kind of thing. Uh, certainly not nothing with audio. Yeah, it's. I think Quibi sort of positioned itself as a competitor to something like Netflix or Disney+. And obviously it was never going to be as successful as either of those. But, like, I don't even think it was a competitor to them. Its competition was Facebook and, I don't know, the Wall Street Journal? Like, print media, more or less. And it's funny to say that they were trying to compete with Disney Plus and Netflix at the moment, because those two companies are currently in very different positions, where already Netflix has had that they had that meteoric rise at the start of the pandemic, and it's in the, in the middle of a precipitous fall from there currently. Mm-hmm. It seems like they're hemorrhaging content, hemorrhaging money. Um, so the idea that that's who they were competing against, and even though they were in the perfect position, even Netflix couldn't compete with Netflix. Yeah. If you were to bank right now on one of the major streaming services folding, be it HBO Max, Apple Plus, Prime, I think you'd have to go with Netflix if one of them was to go and that market was to become oversaturated. Yeah. Netflix is a bit of a is in a bit of a tricky position because if when all of the different studios that have their own content creation like have their own streaming service then a a third party doesn't really work as well and netflix obviously is a studio as well but it doesn't have the years of history or that universal and sony even and like disney all have so it pretty much has to rely on buying things from these other studios which you can't do anymore if those studios have their own streaming services but what's so bizarre is that I'd say this time four years ago, they did have, or they started to generate their own 
library of IP, and then they cancelled all those shows. They cancelled stuff like Glow and Orange oh. is the New Black, all the, all the major shows that they had, which were starting to become an IP that would bring people back in. They allowed those to fall, presumably because they were capable of relying on other studios, third-party content, and then that's going back to bite them. Well, I've read quite a bunch of stuff about Netflix's current state, and one thing Netflix has had a lot of problems with in the last year or so is they have a lot of content and they don't really advertise it well and they have a very bad release strategy. Netflix usually releases everything on one day and with the exception of things like Stranger Things, they don't advertise it very much. Like there's a lot of original Netflix content that comes out that people who were specifically looking forward to that thing because they know the creator or something, a lot of, this is a big thing with animation specifically, they'll know about it. But like Dragon Prince has three seasons, for example. I think Netflix may have advertised season one once. And like, I haven't heard anything about season two and three as they were coming out, which I specifically bring up in relation to Quibi because as Quibi was coming out, they also had a pretty garbage advertising strategy that they changed several times within that four months before ultimately falling apart. That's interesting. I wasn't aware of their advertising at all because I'm on this side of the pond. And so we weren't, we weren't going to get any advertising for them anyway, because there was no way for us to consume their content. Mark and or Pierre, do you guys know, uh, do you guys know what Quibi stands for? Does the Q stand for quick? It's the only thing I it's, can think of. Yep. Yeah, it does. Quick bites. Exactly. Yeah. So Quibi is supposed to is supposed to be an abbreviation for the words quick bites, which is dumb. But I mean, almost every I don't know. I can't think of a. I don't know if the last time any business had a clever name for something. But when they were Quibi's big big advertising push came mostly during the Super Bowl of twenty uh, twenty, and what they were trying to do was they had a lot of ads that would have people in situations where they had like five minutes to themselves and they would call it a quibby. So like there's people that are, there's, there's one ad where um, there's a bunch of people robbing a bank and they get outside and their getaway driver isn't ready yet, but he'll be ready in a quibby, which is enough time to watch one thing on his phone basically. And there's a bunch of those and they're all, pretty dumb but they're pretty cute and some of them have like bigger names in them as well so early on their big advertising push was we want to be as big as you know any of those corporate entities that become verbs like like google Google, for example so that was their big marketing push at first when they launched at the beginning of the pandemic for some reason and uh, that didn't take off halfway through, they started actually advertising their content. I think it was too late by that point, but early on, they were advertising the platform, trying to get people on board with how cool this platform was. And like, they didn't even consider creating ads for things like Dangerous Game. It's escape. Most of the names of Quibi shows are escaping me right now, but they had like a couple of documentary series that they made ads for. And like specific, I think they had one, one was called blackballed and it was a documentary about the guy who owned the Clippers, but then like had that big scandal a couple of years ago. 
they actually made ads for that and put that in like baseball, not baseball, basketball podcasts. It took them probably a month or two before they were actually advertising their content. And well, I mean, that didn't really work out. So I don't know if, I don't know if that's something Netflix can or can't learn from, but I thought it was interesting that like, for whatever reason, neither of these big entities actually advertise their content at all. Compare that to Disney Plus, which I don't think I've ever seen an all-purpose Disney Plus ad. They always are just advertising this show on Disney Plus or this movie on Disney Plus. But, you know, it's easy to kind of... I don't want to be completely down on the concept of Quibi trying to advertise themselves in that way, because if there was ever going to be a time where that could have worked... I'd say the pandemic was this huge opportunity for them mm-hmm. where everybody was stuck in their homes. Everybody was sitting on a lot of free time and was uh, connected to mobile devices or the internet more than they previously were in their lives. So trying to corner that part of the market by, by becoming the verb that they want to be, especially when they had actual content on there, you would have thought that was a potential strategy. Yeah, although I also think that a big part of the reason they wanted to stress themselves as something to do in 10 minutes, at least a big part of some of their advertising was they wanted to market to people on the go. And I mean, I'm far from the first or even the hundredth person to say this, but people weren't really on the go around April 2020. That's the thing, like... (laughs) We'll never know how how good it actually would have been in normal circumstances. Like, theoretically, there could have been a lot of potential here, but it was given, like, probably the worst hand it ever could have been given, like, when it opened. Like, I think, like, April 2020, like, that that's literally when everything shut down. So, like, I don't know, like, well, <laughs> they, they, they didn't really have much of a chance from the start. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of rough. Well, I mean, also, I feel like, their content could have been better but I, I actually think their advertising was actually like kind of interesting especially for a service because they're they're a service that also like a lot of the new streaming services we have now are they already have like tons of content that they already made the only one that i can think of that was like maybe apple tv plus that uh that is mostly making original stuff but it's apple right like they don't need <laughs> Like so, I, I think yeah. it's interesting that Kibi, Kib, 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 Quibi, Quibi is like the first kind of like a successor to Netflix, and that they they were a completely unknown entity that had to come up out of nowhere, basically. Um, well, it did come up out of nowhere in terms of the content that it was creating, but the two voices behind it, Jeffrey Katzenberg, we all know he's the CEO from DreamWorks. He was the chairman of Walt Disney Studios in the eighties and nineties. But did you know Meg Whitman, the other uh, runner of Quibi is the current U.S. ambassador to Kenya. Oh wow! What? Oh wow! Yeah, actually, she's the fifth wealthiest woman in California, and she ran for governor of the state in 2010. Mm. She's a fabulously wealthy woman, and so had all these connections and this vast amount of money to throw around, which is probably where it got that unbelievable yeah. tag of 1.75 yeah. billion. Well, but the thing is, though, is that like I'm not I'm not going to watch a streaming service because Jeffrey Katzenberg is and the <laughs> is like running it. You know, it's not. I mean, obviously that's like in the industry that's why they got so many connections and so much funding um and so many celebrities to sponsor it right but like like you know, for the general audience like no one cares about Jeffrey yeah. Katzenberg 
True, but at the same time, I think that, like, the celebrity appeal isn't nothing, though, either, because they had, they had, like, they had shows with bigger names in them. They had a reboot of Reno 911, and they had, like, lots of producers that everyday people definitely do pay attention to. I think it's, uh, I don't know, um, may- maybe telling that Steven Spielberg's show never, like, got off the ground on it. But they did have Steven Spielberg. They had Jennifer Lopez. They had Chrissy Teigen, who I think is a celebrity. I don't know. I don't know. These all feel like... And most importantly, they had Steven Soderbergh, everybody's favorite director of the Oscars. <laughs> did they actually? <laughs> they did. What? What did Steven Soderbergh do on there? I actually don't know. I don't know if that was one that never got off the ground, similar to, uh, similar to Spielberg's project. Although Spielberg's project officially is still being made. It's just... Oh, the last anyone so heard about it, it was a year ago. It never came out? Not yet. Okay. Because that's the only one that sounded interesting. Like, am I, when you said Jen, like Jennifer Lopez is more like an anti-advertisement in movies. For me. <laughs> like, I, well, I you, be, well, yeah, for you. If, well, no, but it's like, I feel like she's not like, what, does, does, is she in movies that actually sell right now? Like, Marry Me I did guess pretty good. was a big deal. So what? Which one? Marry Me? Uh, Marry Me did pretty good this year, and then, yeah, as you said, Hustlers was pretty big a couple oh, of years ago. that's fair, yeah. She's having, like, a very prolonged comeback. Uh, I don't know. Mm. The Jennifer Lopez is on <laughs> Wait, let me see. Marry Me. Okay, yeah, it has, like, a decent money. It seems strange as well that oh, they, hustlers, yeah. by all accounts, restricted cross-party, sorry, cross-platform advertising so that even though it was on your phone, you couldn't take screenshots, you couldn't post clips to YouTube in the way that TikTok and Twitch were able to gain so much uh, positive exposure so early yeah. on. It feels like every decision they made was the wrong decision. It seems like there's a lot of, well, like you said, there's a lot of really bad decisions, but those decisions seem like there's not actually that many bad decisions and they were like targeted because there's a lot of Quibia ends up having so much good stuff going for them. They were only around for four months and they had almost every, there was an entire Emmy category that was basically just Quibi content. They have like a bunch of shows that, you know, may or may not have been good, but they had like all these celebrities and those shows would then end up being, re-released after Quibi to mostly, you know, at least places people could see them. They had interesting tech. Their idea for basically presenting professionally made content in two different formats was at least interesting and, like, actually got them sued because someone else already did it first. But, like, but then, like, they shot themselves in the foot with the advertising. They shot themselves in the foot with, like, not being able to with like not allowing users to share things and then had to go back on that later. It's weird how many almost targeted bad decisions there are. Or I, I don't know, I keep jumbling how many with not very many, but the, the bad decisions they made were very bad. Yeah. Especially because like, I think if this came out like a while ago, back when streaming was still developing... It might have stood more like they could make those mistakes. They would have had time, but this came out like right when like Disney Plus was starting to pop off, 
and HBO Max was coming in and Apple TV. It's like there was way too much other stuff going on where they couldn't they couldn't afford to make those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate. Any closing thoughts on Quibi before we get on to the movie we're going to talk about today? Absolutely. I'd like to make a closing remark of a completely spitballed um, slur. I think the whole thing was a money laundering scheme. There's just no way that you can put that volume of money into a project that fails in the first six months without that money having been laundered somehow. But like... If it wasn't a money laundering scheme specifically for Jeff Katzenberg and like dirty funds going directly to him, I don't know how successful a money laundering scheme it could have been. Because afterwards, like the things that were sold off from Quibi were sold off for like $100,000 compared to the <laughs> $1.75 billion it got at the beginning. So where did all that money go? Clearly it went directly into Jeff Katzenberg's pool. I feel like I need to say we are kicking it with Kendrick are not suggesting that Jeffrey Katzenberg is a criminal. These are just the opinions of three people on the internet. Uh, just, just while we're slandering Jeff Katzenberg here real quick, <laughs> I would like to share a very, very funny quote. The New York Times interviewed Jeff Katzenberg about a month and a half after Quibi launched and like Quibi was already in dire straits. It's, it's been about 50 days at this point. People are still on their free trials, but people aren't paying for the service. So it looks really bad. But also, the New York Times, in their article, pointed out that Quibi is positioning itself as, like, another streaming service in a sea of streaming services, and, like, those are supposed to be its comp- competition. But the New York Times says, I don't think that is your competition, I think your competition is things like Snapchat and the recently launched in and the recently like uh, doing really well TikTok. So what do you think, Mr. Katzenberg, about TikTok? And Jeffrey Katzenberg said, that's like comparing apples to submarines. I don't know what people are expecting from us. What did Netflix look like 30 days after it launched? To tell me about a company that has a billion users and is doing great in the past six weeks. I'm happy for him, but what the hell does it have to do with me? Wow. Wow, that's not a man with his finger on the pulse. <laughs> well, how old is he right now? Is he like he's like uh he would be 71 now. Okay. At the time at the time that Jeffrey Katzenberg was complaining about TikTok, he was 69. Hey. <laughs> yeah, 69 year olds complaining about what children do on the internet. That, that sounds, sounds uh... like yeah. <laughs> Which I guess is also ironic because Quibi is supposed to be marketed to children on the internet, millennials on the internet, but still, like sixty-nine-year-olds trying to make stuff for millennials, and then are and then being upset about what millennials and younger actually like. Yeah, pretty advertising to millennials and losing out to the Zoomers. <laughs> it's also worth pointing out while we're slandering Jeff Katzenberg. <laughs> that union-negotiated wage rates don't apply to content of less than 20 minutes in length, regardless of the total budget, based on the union-negotiated contracts in 2018. So they were capable of paying their below-the-line staff less by saying that they weren't making TV shows, they were making short-form content more more, uh, applicable to social media content. And according to an investigation I was reading by Input earlier, below-the-line crew were paid on average $10 an hour less than they would be entitled to under more traditional wage scales. So there's a lot of reasons to not feel great about Jeffrey Katzenberg. Hmm. I mean, 
we only really have a half an hour to go into Quibi stuff here, but <laughs> I am like actually fascinated. There is so much wrong with Quibi in like such interesting ways. I, I would really like to do like a deeper dive into Quibi, but I do not have the time today. That's very fair. We shall have to settle for a deep dive into Dummy instead. Which, you know, that one's not nearly as long as the history of Quibi, so we can get into that one, and we will get into it in uh, just a minute after these messages from our sponsors. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. We're hosts of Bad Dad, Rad Dad podcast, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. We love each other. We love movies, and we love talking to each other about movies. And we have some pretty complicated relationships with our dads. We believe movies can open the door to important and really beautiful conversations. That's why every week we talk about the movies we watched, the thoughts and feelings they brought up in us, and the best and worst dads we found in them. We keep it totally spoiler-free so that you might be able to find something new to watch, some things to avoid, reignite the love of an old film, and maybe make you feel a little less alone in this tricky little world we live in. We love all kinds of movies. Our weekly picks can span decades, genres, countries, languages. We'll go watch the latest Marvel movie today, pick up a 70s horror film tomorrow, and finally watch that classic art house movie we've never seen on the weekend. And we'll be laughing and crying the whole way. So join us every Thursday to hear about the movies we watched that week, the feelings they made us feel, and the dads they made us wish we had. Because... My dad's dead. And my dad's a deadbeat. But as far as we're concerned... Not all dads have to be bad. Greetings, we're Technically a Conversation, a podcast for curious people by curious people. Every week, we take turns presenting a new topic, and the other host has no idea what the topic will be. We strive to educate in a way that's loose and fun. Our topics are all over the place, from light and funny to dark and sometimes spooky. Some of the topics we've covered include urban legends, civil rights activists, vampires, pop culture icons, the supernatural and occult, spies and espionage, science and astronomy, and other weird and random things. If any of these topics interest you, give our podcast a shot. Listen and subscribe at technicallyaconversation.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Parental advisory, we might use strong language. Are you cheating on me? I have a sex doll. You what? Ah! I'm having like a nervous breakdown. My boyfriend's sex doll is talking to me. But I have news for you, babe. We're all sex dolls until we topple the patriarchy. That's great. You're a feminist sex doll. Welcome back. Now that we have finished roasting Quibi, we felt that it was important to talk about Anna Kendrick again. And more specifically, the show she was in called Dummy that premiered on Quibi when it came out, right? It was one of the flagship shows, I want to say. Not flagship shows, but like, you know, one of the launch shows. Yeah, I mean, flagship might not be the wrong word, too. Yeah. I think their biggest show that they advertised the most was probably Dangerous Game. But like, this was up there. This was one that they were definitely trying to market to people mm-hmm. and and i think it's one that at least in a lot of videos that i've seen you'll see 
a lot of like you'll see clips of Meg Whitman saying like we want to market to millennials we've got stars they like and we're talking about things they like and then it'll be intercut with like really really bad clips from dummy <laughs> specifically dummy <laughs> yeah this is a show all millennials would obviously be into for some reason I, I don't know they mentioned Rick and Morty in it so like I think that uh, was yeah. there with me <laughs> so boy and, like, maybe it doesn't nail it all the time, but I do find the tone, like, similar to something you might find in Rick and Morty. Like I said, I don't think it nails it, and, like, I don't know if it's fair to compare this show to Rick and Morty, but, like, the sense of humor feels not that dissimilar in a lot of ways. Certainly the attempt at being meta. Yeah feels quite uh, quite similar to Rick and Morty, but I don't think it sticks that landing. It felt quite... It should be. I guess we should mention that this show, a character in it is Dan Harmon, not someone called Dan Harmon, but the actual Dan Harmon is being played by another actor. And multiple times the story will stop for some side character to refer to Dan Harmon as a genius, mm-hmm. which is an awkward thing to be happening when it's being written and directed by his partner at the time. Yeah. Feels a little bit masturbatory to so repeatedly refer to your own boyfriend as a genius. Yeah. A little bit, though I think that, like, the way that's presented is... I think I see what she's going for, because a lot of the... uh, Most of the time when they'll cut away to refer to Dan Harmon as a genius, it's in the context of, in comparison to you, who is not a genius, you are actually quite (laughs) a bad writer to the main character. So, like, I think yeah, I get what she's going for. It always felt a little like they were using the Dan Harmon clout for some reason to, like, sell the show, basically. Even though, like, say Dan Harmon's not, like, necessarily a massive celebrity. Like, <laughs> only fans of Dan Harmon really care about... Or, no, obviously only fans of Dan. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, only someone that's watched their sh- like, really loves their shows would know who Dan Harmon is, right? Is a very dedicated fan That's base, right. but like it, it just felt like a very weird thing to consistently bring up, and like I don't really think it added anything to the show. No, I think that idea of a character whose partner is being referred to as a genius by other people, and the insecurity that pulls out in her—that story beat could have been achieved without referring to him as Dan Harmon. It could have just been my partner John Smith. Oh, John Smith's a genius. That's something that uh, that makes her life hard. Yeah, it, it just mm-hmm. it just felt like oh, like look, I'm dating Dan Harmon. For some reason. Yeah, it's just weird when this is a case where, like, literally just anonymizing the people probably would have gone quite a long way. Yeah. And maybe not using Rick and Morty. They could have used, like, Biff and Schmorty. I don't, like, just anything (laughs) else. I don't know. It was, it was just, yeah, it was just weird. Like, the, the whole when the robber comes up and he's like, oh, look, I love Dan Harmon. And he has like the shirt on. Yeah, when he shows a Rick and Morty yeah. T-shirt, that was uh, that was a pretty cringy moment. It felt like it felt like a, what a fan of Dan Harmon would write or something, and be like, "Oh my god, like there's so many of us." Or something. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> but before we oh, sorry, go yeah. too much into talking about this, hey Mark, you want to uh, summarize this show for us? Absolutely. Okay, so Dummy opens <laughs> with Dan Harmon and his partner engaging in a fairly kinky sex positive sex life but during that scene our protagonist learns that Dan Harmon has a sex doll in his house which he's clearly ashamed of and trying to hide from her and isn't particularly open with compared to his other 
sexual exploits. And that evening, as the protagonist is walking around the house, she comes across this sex doll which starts to talk to her. And what follows is a kind of buddy cop kind of road trip movie about a woman and her boyfriend's sex doll writing a script together. And it ultimately has a tone that you would probably expect from that, which is very strange. And I don't use strange in necessarily a negative way. It's trying to be strange. It's trying to be an unusual setup for a show. This isn't the average thing that you've seen before. I mean, when I say it feels very much like the tone of Rick and Morty, one of the things is it uses like the same kind of oh, I wouldn't have thought of that kind of plot for Rick and that a lot of Rick and Morty episodes use. Like it's something that is sort of off the wall. And then, I mean, it's it's a girl hanging out with a sex doll, which I guess probably gives you an idea of how raunchy the comedy tries to be literally every minute because this is a show with six minute episodes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, and those, those raunchy aspects did kind of work for me, I must say. It came across as a fairly sex-positive show, which wasn't judging its female characters for liking sex, and it wasn't judging its male characters for having sex dolls. It was just being quite open with who these characters were and having them try to uh, achieve uh, some kind of self-actualization mm-hmm. through the process. And I think that also, like, how short the episodes are means it does have to it packs a lot into each episode. And so, you know, again, I don't know that it necessarily always nails it, but there's a lot of like really funny moments in this. It it doesn't have something like in Curb Your Enthusiasm where you build up for the entire episode up to one joke, but there's a lot of like really funny one-liners basically in almost every episode. And it needs to be in each episode because of the speed at which it's rattling through its content. Mm -hmm. If I was to say that as a negative, though, in the structure, it did feel like there were a lot of repeated story beats when it was trying to wrap up a sort of miniature story arc every seven minutes. Mm-hmm. You'd go through characters becoming friends and then back to rivals and then back to friends again. That would happen multiple times throughout the course of the series. That might have worked if it was a longer form thing. If this was a an average sitcom with 20-minute episodes, then maybe that wouldn't have felt quite so repetitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as it is with such short episodes. I mean, I don't know how you guys watch this, but I watch this all in one sitting. And when you watch it all in one sitting, that kind of stuff really stands out. It, it wouldn't bother me as much if I was rewatching something like How I Met Your Mother or Friends or something where most of the episodes have the same structure. Because when that episode structure takes a half an hour to go through, like it's fine. You, you, it, does, it doesn't feel like you're watching the same thing over and over again because you have to sit with it a little longer. Yeah, that certainly is how I watched it as well. And it sounds like neither of us were, were consuming our quibbies in the way that Quibi <laughs> wanted us to consume them. It was hoping that I would do it five minutes in bed and then five minutes while on the bus and then five minutes mm-hmm. later, as opposed to watching an hour's worth of content in one go. That wasn't mm-hmm. meant to be binge-watched. Pierre, did you also watch this just all in one sitting? Yeah, basically. Yeah, okay, I kind of figured. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think in general? Uh, I, I just thought of, like, there were some cute moments, but, like, overall, I think the, the entire concept of it felt kind of forced. Like, it might have been more funny. I read that this was initially, the whole plot of this was actually for a television pilot. 
which would have been, I guess, like maybe 20, 30 minutes. I think that might have suited it better in some ways. I think there was, I don't know. I, I think the whole sex doll, like, I, I think I relied too much on it being like, oh my God, like she's talking to a sex doll. Especially with how creepy the sex, like the, honestly, it would have been better if they just added no like CGI or whatever to the face. I completely it agree. Was very off putting. It was like an uncanny valley. It never stopped looking for you. Yeah, and like it didn't really add anything, and it just looked very badly. Like it was obviously very badly animated, which was like I guess on purpose. Like I don't think there's any good way to animate that, but I think it would just been better to just be like, let's not animate this. Let's leave this untouched. I think it would have been better, and also it might have helped kind of see how. I think it would have helped see how crazy she is, if that makes sense. But yeah, I that that was a very weird thing. I kind of wish I could watch this the way it was intended, at least like in, in parts of it, because right now I'm actually not sure if there is a way to watch this. Well, I mean, I guess there's a way to watch this on your phone if you download the episodes and download them to your phone. But like, there's no Quibi or app that this is on, so you can't watch it that way so when i watched it like the most convenient way for me to watch things is actually on a regular sized screen so all the visuals of the movie come across exactly like that where if i would have watched this on a phone i wonder if it would have looked as weird because the phones are much smaller screens and just in a naturally worse resolution which i don't know was it intended for a shitty phone resolution basically Certainly what you mentioned earlier about the uh, the format changing between portrait and landscape mode as you watched it, I wonder how much that would have added. Because mm-hmm. it feels like it would have cut a lot of the data off the screen. It would have essentially just shown you the middle third. Mm-hmm. But potentially mm-hmm. that's, again, what was trying to be a, a central aspect to this platform. I don't think it's completely a dead-in-the-water idea. I definitely think that it, it's possible to use that positively and to create decent content for something which switches through aspect ratios like that Mm -hmm. i don't know if dummies well yeah i guess speaking to format though as you mentioned pierre this was originally a television pilot but then when it got picked up by quibi they reformatted it into a movie but then they ultimately shot it for this 10 minutes 10 episode format basically Mm -hmm. do you think that the format was the, the format they ultimately went with was the best choice for this. Like, do you think it would have been better as a movie or as a TV show? Um, I think it was like cute how they did it. I, I, I appreciated what they were going for, but like, it was kind of cool how just like any character moment or beat was basically its own episode. But like the whole, it just felt like a, like you divided a movie up into multiple pieces and I, I couldn't like avoid that feeling. Mm-hmm. At least for me, the whole time, um, because I I feel like there was, I don't want to say, but like there wasn't any real progression for me in in the character until like what felt like the end, like like so like a movie. Yeah, there's a moment after about it must be about fifty minutes in that the boyfriend throws out the sex doll and says, "No, I don't need this anymore. I'm happy in my relationship." And directly after having done so, the main character I can't remember her name. Cody. What's the name of the main character? Chloe. Cody. She, uh, Cody, is it? Cody, yes. okay. Uh, Cody then picks the doll, doll up out of the dumpster and takes it home to live in her flat. 
And I can only assume that would have been the end of the pilot. That would have been where they wanted to cut that off so that we have our status quo now is a woman living in her house with her boyfriend's ex-sex doll mm-hmm. and writing scripts together. Uh, and I wonder if that would have been better done as a pilot because the pilot is all about trying to set up a status quo so that we can move on and have regular mini stories from there. Potentially that could have worked. But do you think it would have had legs longer than just a pilot? Because when I watch this, I don't know how long you could sustain that story. Well, I think if they... Um, Oh, sorry. That that wasn't... No, you go. Well, I was just going to say, I actually like the chemistry between Anna Kendrick and the sex doll. Surprisingly. (laughs) I thought they had good chemistry. So, like, if they focus more on just, like, their relationship and less on it's a sex doll, then, like, I think there actually could have been some some interesting stuff in the future there. There's some stuff they could play with. I'd agree with that. And have either of you guys seen a show called Wilfred? So I was just about to bring up Wilfred because it is actually, it's, it, that's actually my favorite TV show. But also, guess who was a writer for that? No, was she really? Yeah, Cody Heller wrote for that. Now that makes so much sense because that was what this show was really reminding me of. Mm-hmm. And when you said, is there legs beyond the pilot episode? I would have mentioned Wilfred as a, as a test case where it seems like there shouldn't be any legs to that. that. That seems like a one-off joke and it should be done. But they really do get a lot of content out of a TV show about a man and his dog where the dog is played by a man in a dog suit. Mm-hmm. I think it could have been possible to do the same thing with, uh, with the sex doll. Yeah, actually, now that you guys mention it, I was originally going to say I don't think that it could go beyond that. But actually, bringing up Wilfred as an example, maybe... Maybe this could have been a successful TV show. And you know what? Maybe maybe Cody Heller will try it again, though I think in general the reception to this has not been such that I mean, I feel like she's probably moved on to a different project after the reception to this show. Well, it's worth pointing out that because of Quibi's bizarre business model, all of the rights to these shows are held by the content creators, not by Quibi. That's true. So she could try it again. She could you know, create this on our own. Mm-hmm. So Cody Heller, if you're listening, you should try this again. And we really like Wilfred Wilden. She should um, launch a show with us. The classic movies live. <laughs> <laughs> we'll produce it. We'll help you. We'll, we'll fix it up for you. <laughs> no. We'll be the script punch-up guys. Related to the format question, though, do you guys think that this works as a movie or would have worked as a movie? In its current state or with a rewrite? I guess either. Both of those are interesting questions. Yeah, I think it would require a rewrite because in the structure that it's been pushed into where there's a small character arc every seven to ten minutes and then they're kind of being strung back to back, it does play as quite disjointed when you're sitting down to watch it as a single movie. Mm -hmm. But I could imagine letting some of those beats breathe a little bit there's a moment early on, like half an hour in, I guess, where the, the sex doll uh, suffers an injury and is being taken to a sex doll repair shop by Cody. And the sex doll repair man is very disparaging of the doll, saying, oh, this is an old model. Look at all these joints. This bit's worn out. This skin is damaged. There's wear and tear. You should really just get a new one. And playing that beat as an empathetic moment for the sex doll, where you're then feeling very bad for her and that, uh, that she's being referred to in that way that could work as part of a wider arc but it doesn't work on its own just as a a small moment for her 
Uh, that feels like something that could have worked in the context of a wide film. Right, because in the in the context of this film, or of this movie, it's like, or of, of the format that it's in now, that's basically one episode, which means that entire thing uh, happens and is more or less resolved within seven minutes. When I say more or less resolved, that clearly has like ramifications going forward. It's not completely forgotten, but like it just plays out as a really weird and uncomfortable seven minute segment. And then afterwards, it's like, well, that was traumatizing, but let's move on. Absolutely. I and mean, it's never brought up again. Yeah. It, it, like you say, it has character beat progression where that is a kind of moment of empathy between Cody and the doll. But Well, it's kind of brought up in like episode nine when they, they make love, I guess. Cause... It's definitely worth mentioning that she has sex with yeah. herself. I thought that was actually nice. I like the whole like she had to make love with herself. To like, you know, like again that that idea as a as an a resolving of her character arc that she's making love with herself and that she's coming to terms with herself as her own person, not as Dan Harmon's girlfriend. That's not dead in the water as an idea. That's certainly something. That yeah, could work. that's like interesting because you know, like that's not really a story you could do with anything other than a sex doll. You know, <laughs> like like they took like the most unique part of that. And they made it work for Absolutely. that story. So yeah, I like that part. Check out Sex Doll. If you introduce a Sex Doll <laughs> in the first act, someone's got a bang. That actually is another like really interesting comparison to Wilfred because I know that it's a recurring theme throughout all of the seasons of Wilfred, but especially in that first and second season, is Wilfred actually the dog that he's taking care of? Or is this him projecting onto the dog or is there some element of, of both of those which comes up in this uh, which is a similar theme in this in this show dummy as well absolutely it's not uh, it's never asserted one way or the other that she's either crazy or the sex dolls alive mm-hmm. it's left very much up in the air yeah you could explore that quite a bit more if you wanted to i mean were they planning a season two is that why they made the the dummy alive or like was the do you think this was open for a season two i mean i've heard of exactly one quibi show that was actually renewed for a season two mm-hmm. and that season two never came out well, yeah. but like <laughs> this is one that i haven't seen any indication that a season two was ever in the works it's crazy that we don't even have the language to discuss what a next season of a Quibi would be because season doesn't really feel like the right word. Yeah. It's 10 episodes of seven minutes of content. And so a season two is really like a sequel more than a, more than a season two. Well, depending too, because some of the shows on Quibi were very much serialized like shows. Like I think there was like murder house flip or something, which every single episode was a complete thing. No, but on the other side of the spectrum, you have the movie uh, dangerous game which was is the only one that I have seen which was renewed for whatever season two means. But instead of a season two ever coming out, that was actually recut into a movie and released on Amazon Prime. So is there a season two in the works? And what does that mean? Because in that case, a season two is absolutely just a sequel movie. It would just be the most dangerous game too, where with something like any of their reality shows, it would be an actual season two of like another 10 episodes. And with this, I don't know. I don't think that this movie quite works on its own as a movie. So it seems weird to think of it as like 
to think of another season, whatever that means, as just like a sequel movie. But it also wouldn't quite make sense as a second season either. And that's interesting that it was also then pitched or idealized as a pilot Mm -hmm. because then it was definitely intending for a season's worth of content. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the final length of this is about 76 minutes, which if you think about it is about two episodes of like a Wilfred length TV show. Like it's a little more than Mm -hmm. that'd be each episode of about 35 minutes, which when you add in a lot of commercials is about right for like an hour long TV show. I was just confused because, like, the whole, oh, the sex doll didn't wake up, like, after she had sex with it. That felt like the the conclusion, right? And -hmm. it felt like it made sense, at least in a movie sense. But then, for some reason, they made it alive again. And then, I actually, that whole, the whole ending was weird to me. Just, like, it felt very rushed, but then also very, like, random. Like, this this sex doll was, like, her best friend. And then she, like, locked, and then it turned out to be alive still even after her character progression and then she locked it away it was just like it was weird because like there's this whole they're setting up like oh if she goes with dan Harmon and lives with him then she's not gonna finish the script and she's not gonna have a career of her own and she's just gonna be dan Harmon's boy girlfriend or known as dan Harmon's girlfriend again but if she doesn't move back and she stays she keeps hanging out with the sex doll then she can have her own career as a writer. But then she kind of ends up getting both, and that just felt really cheap to me, like, because the sex doll somehow sent in the script to the executive. Yeah, it felt like having your cake and eating it too, that it was that she managed to achieve Yeah, it was both. like, I thought the whole point of the show was she's supposed to love herself, but then she, like, there was all that character progression out the window to hang out with Dan Harmon again. But then the sex doll does it anyways, and it's just like, what what's going on here so that's why it felt like there was supposed to be a season two because like they threw out all like the themes of the movie slash show like out the window in the last second and i thought they were gonna start again just for the sake of trying to see like maybe i don't that's the only reason i can think of because other than that that's like really really bad writing in like the cruelest twist of fate you know the you know what the third result on google is when you search the name cody heller dan Harmon. Who is Dan Harmon's fiance, yeah. Cody Heller? <laughs> well, I mean, if you're literally putting him in the show like that, then yeah, of course. It's like she's asking for it. I don't know. And that's kind of the same thing in the show, too, actually. Like, she, like the character literally goes back acknowledging that she probably will just be Dan Harmon's girlfriend again. I don't know. That might be, like, the biggest flaw with this show and the way that, and the reason that I don't think that, in its current form, the show Dummy, I have a difficult time like seeing how this very specific show could like continue even in the form of like a Wilfred show, just because while I think the premise has a lot of potential, I think it is a little bit hindered by the fact that the characters in the movie are not just fictionalized versions of people. Like they have the same names. They are supposed to be these people. Like, it would be very difficult to get, I think, to get four seasons out of this where you have to create, like, constant character development for the character of Dan Harmon and for the character of Cody Heller because these are real people. Like, you can look up what they're currently doing. So potentially that might be where it is unique in its USP 
would be that it's following real life. And if something happens to Dan Harmon in real life, they have to bite it into the show and develop it as it's happening, kind of similarly to the way that South Park will follow real events in such quick time and are capable of doing an entire season about what's currently happening in the news. That is true too, actually, come to think of it. I don't know if it would work. I don't know if that would be, if that would come up with more issues depending on what actually happens with Dan Harmon in real life, because (laughs) that has all the potential to get thrown completely off the rails. Right. But that could be interesting, like Wilfred with an element of this stuff is actually currently happening. I just wanted to have a quick detour. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier some of the different content on Quibi and sort of the dip- when you're talking about is this a film, is this a show, is this reality TV? Mm-hmm. Have you guys heard of the show Murder House Flip? I just mentioned it, actually. No. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> I missed that. It's incredible. I can't believe that they even tried to uh, tried to make that. It seems like in such poor taste. Do you want to very briefly summarize what it is? Because I don't think Pierre's heard of it. So, so Murder House Flip is a show where, kind of similar to Changing Rooms or you know, um, home improvement, extreme makeover, that sort of thing. They will buy a house in which a person was really murdered in real life, and then they will try to do up that house and sell it on. And their first episode (laughs) is about a house where a 10-year-old girl was killed by her father. Like a real girl who actually died, and then they have to try and, like, make a a quick buck by turning this house around. That sounds like actually like really creatively bull <laughs> reality tv i never thought i'd say it's that. such a it's actually like really risky it's such an obviously bad idea that i love the fact that they did it <laughs> yeah i mean like i wouldn't i don't think i'd watch it <laughs> but i like kind of respect it in a weird way yeah. even though it's like even though like also like making money off of murder is like kind of a shitty thing to do so maybe i don't respect it but I'd be interested to know how self-aware that show is because making money off of murder is a shitty thing to do is also a like prime criticism that's directed at like half of the true crime dramas that come out or like true oh, crime yeah, docs. That's also true. Say what yeah. you will about Quibi, they had some unique ideas. They had some original that is... content. <laughs> that is a cool thing about them like having almost entirely creator creator owned things. They just let people do their wildest ideas, even when those ideas were not very good ideas. And it ended up with some, like you said, really unique things on their platform. I wanted to talk a little bit about the performances in this. We sort of touched on them. I think there's three main credited actors in this. There's a lot of fun cameos. But um, in this show, we have Donald Logue, Meredith Hagner, and of course, Anna Kendrick. The first person I wanted to ask you guys about, what did you guys think of Donald Logue as Dan Harmon? I don't think that he did a particularly good job of being the real Dan Harmon. He didn't uh, sort of carry himself in that way, Mm. which is, again, one of the reasons why I don't think the show needed to use the real name of someone who is quite famous, albeit in a limited scope. Mm -hmm. But in terms of his performance as that character and as as the boyfriend in in this role, he did a pretty good job of, uh, of of holding himself. He certainly did a very good job of uh, in the mo- in the scenes with the sex doll. Mm-hmm. He did a very good job of um, sort of playing this as something shameful and something that he hates about himself, um, and he's very uncomfortable bringing up with his girlfriend. He was fine. Just the biggest flaw was he was being compared to Dan Harmon. Absolutely, it didn't feel like Dan Harmon at all. He has the most obviously complete 
character progression, I think. Like, he doesn't have the best character arc necessarily, but, like, he goes through a complete character arc and, like, kind of drops off at about halfway through the show, but, like, he feels like his character is finished at that point. Yeah, the show is clearly done with him when he drops out and then it's fine that we don't see him again. Yeah, and he's he's very much a supporting character, and I think he's fine in that, but, yeah, it's... I would certainly say, and I think that this agrees with what you guys were saying, that I don't know why he needed to be Dan Harmon, other than the fact that in the context of this show, this is dramatizing something that happened with where Dan Harmon is a real person that was involved. But other than that, he didn't need to be Dan Harmon at all. No, audience insert characters or writer insert characters are a very uh, a well-trodden path mm-hmm. to continuing down. But I guess the more important parts of this show would be Meredith Hagner and Anna Kendrick, who played, respectively, the sex doll and Cody Heller. What do you guys think of them? Um, I actually, yeah, I really like them together. I thought they, even, like, despite the format, like, I, I feel like the format actually really fights against the chance for them to, like, really show off their chemistry and, like, growing as a pair. Yeah. But um, I actually really like them together. Other than the weird CGI face, I thought, like, yeah, they both bounced off each other really well. I thought their characters were, like, similar enough but different enough to, like, feel separately interesting but together. And, yeah, I thought Anna Kendrick was, like, this is actually, like, one of my more highly loved roles of her, I guess, is the best way to say it. I thought thought it was an interesting way of, like, a position to put her in. Even though I never really bought her as, like, a writer, if that makes sense. I don't know why. That kind of bothered me, but I never saw her as a writer. Certainly the scenes where Barbara and Cody are... Barbara's the sex doll, by the way, for those who haven't seen oh, uh, When they are road tripping together and they are driving through the desert and sort of bonding with each other, those feel like the heart of, of the show slash film. Mm-hmm. Despite it having like the cringiest moment, I, th- I think my favorite episode is the one where they're in a gas station and the gas station is being robbed mostly because it like i think mostly the reason that's my favorite episode is they just spend the entire time barbara and cody spend the entire time bickering with each other in the gas station until barbara points out that there's currently that the gas station is being robbed and then there's like four different characters in the gas station it's like surprisingly full of interesting character archetypes and then everything goes to shit right at the end when the crack whore who's the only the only <laughs> name we get for her just like comes out of nowhere and just explodes the guy the robber's head while he's talking to them about how much he loves Rick and Morty which is just such a bizarre moment but it's kind of hilarious and it, it's a great headshot as well i must say oh, yeah. in terms in the pantheon of heads exploding on film there are many strong ones and everyone is going to pair um is going to compare poorly to scanners but it's pretty good yeah, very nice gore in this movie. <laughs> nice and unexpected. I think the two of them had really good chemistry, especially when they were able to show it off. The road trip scenes, I think, give them the most time to be together, basically. And if this were reworked into a movie, I think that would probably be the strongest part of that resulting movie. As a show, it's hampered a little bit by the fact that the road trip in order to be effective as a road trip has to happen over two or three episodes. 
And each episode, as we said, is its own like little mini arc. So it kind of eats into how effective something like that can be, but it still, it still is the most effective at getting that chemistry across. And I, they just work really well together. I think Meredith Hagner, despite being trapped behind awful CGI is really, really good as the sex doll. And I would also put this as a very, very high tier Anna Kendrick performance, personally. It is worth spending some time on those cameos as well, because all of them appear to be cameos from well-known Dan Harmon projects. you got Chris Parnell of Rick and Morty fame, but then you have Joel McHale coming through from oh. Community. <laughs> Rob Corddry has also had a couple of cameos in Community in the past, mm-hmm. and they're all playing basically the same character. So whenever you cut to a car, it is this, uh, this agent character as one of many references to Dan Harmon's outer career. That was actually, I like that running joke. I thought that was actually pretty funny. I mean, you already said it, but I need to stress that they're playing basically the same character. They are very mm-hmm. emphatically not playing the same character because the running joke <laughs> is that every time we cut to that car, it's always a different cameo, but it's always her agent. And the reason that it's always a different agent is usually because the last agent got me too. Or at least that's what we would expect because the last time it's that agent didn't get me too. His wife is going through something and he needed to be there, which is like, which, which is a really nice like reversal on that. Felt like such a cheap joke, but like it actually like worked really well. I don't know why. Yeah. The joke works because she uses it exactly three times. If she'd used it more than that, then it wouldn't have worked at all. But like, it's, Mm. it's like the perfect number of, I guess that's what rule of threes is. It was kind of cool seeing like a new like like guest celebrity sort of like pop in every time that happened too for like because I, I when I first I was like oh my god Joel McHale, McHale's in this this is awesome and then you never see him again <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was like I think that makes it even funnier but again that feeds into that Quibi model where you have to question how much it costs to get those three people who are all working mm. actors uh, with a lot of things under their belt to come in for the most minor of cameos just to. Uh, just to have that joke played three times. Mm-hmm. Joel McHale, notably of Spider-Man 2 fame. <laughs> yeah, is he in something else? Um, I don't think so. I think it's just Spider-Man yeah. 2. Yeah. Okay, okay. He's been ha- holding on to that Spider-Man 2 money <laughs> all this time. He's doing very well for himself. <laughs> well, we kind of already said it, but the last question that we always got to talk about on this show is, where does this rank in the pantheon of Anna Kendrick films and Anna Kendrick performances? And like, Pierre and I have basically already answered this question. We will come back to it and answer it again. But because we already did, Mark, where would you put this in the Anna Kendrick movies you have seen and the Anna Kendrick performances you have seen? It's hard to know where to judge it because the structure is so broken by dint of it being split up into so many different episodes and and having to work around that structure when we aren't capable of watching it or consuming it as it was meant to be consumed. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to say. I don't think the idea itself is broken. And I think that the, some of the writing really works, as we were saying, surrounding her, uh, her character arc towards the end of the show slash film. But as it stands, you can't really recommend it wholeheartedly. It's not in the bottom of Anna Kendrick films I've seen. I'm not, I'm not sure if you guys have done Get a Job yet, but Get a Job is one of the worst films I've ever seen. that's the last one for me i think we've watched like 30 movies and that's number 30 wow yeah can't (laughs) argue with that 
I'd put it around the level of stuff like Into the Woods, maybe Life After Beth. It's kind of, it, it's, it's okay, but the structure is always going to hamper it and hold it back as a complete project. But I do agree with you guys that her performance is a lot better than, than the material she has to work with, really. Mm-hmm. She elevates the material rather than dragging it down. I think that, like, when I was watching this, it's really hard to explain. Me watching a movie versus watching a TV show or a traditional TV show are very different, like, modes, I guess would be the best way to say. Like, when I'm watching a TV show, I'm looking for very different things than I would be in a movie. And when I watched this show, I watched it as a movie. That was my intention. But I very quickly switched over to TV mode if that makes sense. And watching it with the knowledge that even though we're not able to watch it the way it was meant to be consumed, I definitely watched it with the knowledge that this was released episodically. So I was watching it in a more, at least with more of a mind towards an episodic nature. And when I was able to do that, and if you're able to like put your brain into that, into the mode to receive it like that, I think that this was pretty good. I think this is maybe bottom of upper tier Anna Kendrick movies, but I would definitely put it quite a bit up there. The thing is, I don't think it would work. Like if I had continued as I was watching this, thinking of it as a full one and done experience, like as a movie, I don't think it would have been quite as good because a lot of what I ended up liking about this was not things that I would like in a movie. The very rapid fire, raunchy humor, the fact that everything like was more or less contained six minute arcs. Those are things I liked, but in a movie, those would be absolute no-goes the way that they were presented in this show. So I think it's, it's sort of a weird one to recommend, but I think I would recommend it, especially for people that are able to watch it on whatever Roku TV is, because I supposedly have that, but I have no idea how to access it. So if you are able to access it, like watching this episodically, I think it is worth it. So I, I would recommend it for sure. And then I also agree that like, this is a very, very good Anna Kendrick performance for sure, as well. Pierre, you? Uh, oh, I... I, yeah, I, the upper tier Anna Kendrick movie show, no, sorry, mid tier show slash movie. Good, good performance. Yeah, it, it is really hard to tell whether I would have liked this. I'm probably not as a movie because, yeah, I think, I think it, if, because the ending really shits on the rest of it, it, it comes off better because it is episodic. So mm-hmm. it just feels like the episodes thrown out. But if it was a whole movie, I think like it would have felt like the whole movie was wasted. Yeah, so um, it worked better. And I think I think it was... Honestly, I, I think this was an interesting way to watch a TV show. It was like... like I've never seen a show that was split into seven-minute episodes, so I kind of honestly appreciate, if you can call that innovation, like the innovative aspects of it. And honestly, I think it's a format we might see again in the future. I think it has potential, especially with like how much media there is right now there there really needs to be ways or for shows to kind of mm-hmm. have different selling points and stuff and honestly i think this is a unique way of telling a story that could be done better in the future 
So I, mm-hmm. I feel like we might see more of this. Yeah, I think you that know? a lot of the ideas that went into Quibi were actually pretty good. And the idea of this short form style of content was not one of the bad ones. Like, we, I think we will see this again. I don't know in what form because it's also not something you can base an entire service around, I don't think. Or if you could, I don't know how you would do it. The service I'd compare Quibi most to just off the top of my head would be something like Vine, where it's tied to a specific length of time, Mm -hmm. as opposed to having a bit more flexibility and being able to do what YouTube does, where it has everything from short content to hours and hours. If you tie yourself to one particular length, then it's going to be difficult to sell yourself entirely on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I could see Netflix, like, for example, Netflix, if you look at their app, they even have like, a very TikTok like feature where they'll they'll have like short funny clips from shows that they have that are like about a minute long that you can scroll through. Um, I don't know if people actually use that, but like it, there is a sign that they are looking at stuff like that. So this could be like a compromise because I don't think that really works that well either. But you know, I think like maybe five minute episodes or something could be interesting. Who knows? So really, what you're saying is that Quibi was ahead of its time. Honestly, it might be. I think there, there's a lot of potential in that idea. I'm not, I'm not like this. There's no lie there. Madam President, the asteroid's impact is imminent. How long do we have? Two, three quibbies tops. My God. <laughs> well, I guess that wraps up our episode on dummy and officially like before editing. So I don't know how long this is going to be after we release the episode but before editing this episode is now longer than the entire series dummy (laughs) which uh i don't know if you were able to listen to this whole episode you've got time for dummy i guess if that's something that interests you good to have been able to get into it in depth (laughs) but before we go mark first off thank you for coming on but beyond that is there anything that uh, you want to promote? Is there any place that our listeners can find more of you? Um, maybe I should have asked ahead of time. This seems like I'm putting you on the spot. No, absolutely. Put me on the spot. You okay. can find more of me on the Oscars Death Race Discord server. Come and have a chat, mostly about Minding the Gap. I am always around. Uh, I don't think there's anywhere else that you can find me other than Letterboxd. Uh, and yeah, that's all that I've got. All right. Well, I will link to both of those things in the show notes. And uh, yeah, come say hi, because I'm sure that, especially if you have spicy takes on Minding the Gap, Mark will have spicy retorts. All right. Next time, we are going to talk about the only other thing that Anna Kendrick has put out on a streaming service to date. No, one of two other things that Anna Kendrick's put out on a streaming service to date. There was one other TV show she did that At the moment, we at least don't have plans to talk about, but we might in the future. But uh, Pierre, did you know she did a Netflix original? No, that doesn't surprise me, though. Well, next week, we are going to talk about the movie Stowaway, which is a Netflix original that I think came out everywhere but Germany last year. Poor Germany. Yeah, Germany is going to get it at some undetermined point in the future (laughs) in theaters. Which at this point, I don't know why that even matters, because if it's somewhere on Netflix with VPNs and all sorts of other methods, 
any German people that want to watch it can probably already watch it. So it seems like a weird marketing strategy, but uh, maybe we'll, we'll we'll be able to talk about it before it comes out in German theaters. That's exciting. We are kicking it with Kendrick. Do not endorse using VPNs to illegally access content. <laughs> True. Yes. yes. Absolutely and- never do that. And and uh, Dummy was a TV show, not a movie. Really. <laughs> what what was it? Do we really know what it was? It's its own thing. <laughs> I love how we kept saying movie like, the whole time. Movies, TV shows, they're like in, in this is the one single case where I think you can be forgiven for using those two interchangeably. Maybe Dummy Dummy was the first the nine movie, ten movie series where each movie is actually seven minutes. I think that's the real <laughs> So what you're saying is that Dummy was ahead of its time. Yeah. <laughs>